Awoga, this is a 12th cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan semi-retrospective Dwarfcast for Series 11, although we have left it so late that it's not really a semi-retrospective, but more of just a retrospective of Series 11. Uh, I'm Ian Symes and with me are the entire GMT team, namely Jonathan Capps. Hello. Uh, John Hall. Hi there. I forgot your name for a second. Thank you. Tanya Jones. Hi. And on the internet, Danny Stevenson. Hello. There he is. So, we're going to talk about Red Dwarf 11, because it has been, what, three, four months since it started with Twentica, uh, which was an episode that I'd seen recorded and thought that it was one of the best ones of the Dave era, and I still think it probably is. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think I, I like it more than anything in 10, it's a, which is my two favourites from 11, surpass everything in 10, in my mind. Yeah, it was a weird one, because... At the time, everyone was quite surprised. Everyone who knew the nature of the episode was quite surprised that it was the first one. Yeah, it seemed sort of climactic in mm. a way. And now that we've seen the rest of the episodes, I still kind of, and especially with a documentary being presented in sort of the order in which they were recorded, I kind of still think of yeah. Twentica as being as it should be at the end. I I think Can of Worms makes it very easy to think of. Wanting Twentica at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and we won't get into the reasons why. We'll save that. But considering the, the broadcast order, I think Twentica would certainly work I, better. I'm pretty sure that. I mean, <laughs> we're, 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 we're like getting a, a little bit away from Twentica at the moment. But... Oh, brilliant. That's a really good start. <laughs> no, just, I don't think there's particularly any episode in the series that is a final episode as I would imagine it. Probably because of the way it was written. But uh, I think maybe series ten is because an episode three, basically. <laughs> well, I was going to say that is there such a thing in Red Dwarf as what should be at the beginning, middle, and end of a series? Because I think yeah. series ten ended up with a really good structure. Yeah. And when the beginning uh, was at the end, and it has that ending where it, it's satisfying as a, an ending, as a full stop or as a comma. Uh, we kind of got used to the idea that the the last episode in a series yeah. is is going to be significant, but that's not always been the case. I mean, well, I mean, we had that run, didn't we? We had Out of Time, which yeah. even though it was a cliffhanger, you know, absolutely a last episode because it just became infamous. Um, Nanaki was a very was a very last episode, last episode, and so was Only the Good. So we had that run, and then but, but interesting <laughs> that Only the Good wasn't designed to be the last episode. It was supposed to be the penultimate one. Oh uh, yeah, very good point. <laughs> well, remember though that Back to Reality went out last, but it was originally recorded supposed to go out first. first. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly. And series four, it was determined by accident because yeah. of the Gulf War. Yeah. So basically, from Back to Reality onwards, it feels like we've had. An, yeah, en- okay. an episode that is even if not intended to be the final episode. There's, there's the, elements the to it that that make that's... it work. I'll give it extra impact for being a, a final episode. I mean, I still think Crisis would have been a perfect ending, yeah. which we'll get onto. But yeah, I I remember I, I rewatched the whole of the series today, um, and watching that's dedication. I'm watching Twentica because when I first watched Twentica, my lungs were completely full of fluid. Oh yeah, and I was very near death. <laughs> I just didn't realise this at the time. You thought it, that you were just having a reaction okay, to Red Dwarf. It was literally like 
two days later I was in intensive care. So I rewatched it with with the benefit of lungs and life. Um, yeah, it's one of my favourites of the season. Oh, okay. It is. But you're saying but, that with a really I'm bored expression that, on your face. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah I I definitely consider it in the the top three, but um. But I I I, just... I, I, st- I still have the problem that for me the episode livens up once we get into the bar and it's not the core cast speaking. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, I mean that's problem. a that's a very Dave era thing, and I don't necessarily see it as a problem so much as a kind of a necessary um, freshening up of certain aspects of the show because the beginning had the same sort of the same sort of thing. The funniest scene in the beginning was we didn't have any of the core cast in, mm. and um, well the. The subject of guest characters has kind of been on our minds yes. in the last couple of weeks because we've done the, <laughs> the World Cup of guest characters. And we said during that a lot of the characters from the Dave era didn't make the letter stages, didn't quite make the cut. And I said at the time that I think I thought that was a shame and I think that a lot of it is because like we're so familiar and with the older ones and they're so iconic and have such big roles in their episodes. But the Dave era has done a different thing with guest characters that we haven't really seen in Red Dwarf before. Yeah of expanding it out and making it more of an ensemble and not being afraid to make those guest characters the centre of the comedy. Yeah, yeah. Previously they were used, you know, they were, could be funny, uh, but they were used as baddies or like a special guest of the week that an episode is built around a lot of the time. And and, and the winner, Talky Toaster, yeah. is in at the beginning and it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apart from the Which winner. Is just, <laughs> if you talk about the first series on Carnation, it's there for a few jokes. We talk about White Hole... He kicks the plot off, and then that's it. We don't even see <laughs> yeah, him but, again. Yeah, I mean, God, talk about like having an impact with relatively little <laughs> screen time, and actually having two completely different characterizations. Well, not completely different characterizations, but two different. But series eleven. But anyway, twenty. <laughs> um, yeah, and Twentica's guest cast is one of its strongest points, and yeah. it's not just at the, the bar really. It's because um, you got Kevin Alden. Yes. Who pops yes. up early and is Kevin Alden, and therefore yes. is brilliant. Yeah. And, and brings a lot to the table. I, I think the funniest moment in the entire episode is Kevin Elder going, Ooh <laughs> <laughs> So, you know. That whole that whole confrontation is brilliantly played. Yeah. In fact it's an episode that like I, I re- honestly can't think of a moment or um a time when it puts a foot wrong. I can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Jones, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um I generally um like Twentica as an episode I think it's, it's a lot of fun um but they do make a massive leap when they arrive in, in yes yeah. that, that universe and <laughs> so they, oh oh and um, this has happened and this oh this was hang on a minute <laughs> yeah I mean I, I kind of equate that along with oh Crichton's mind must be characterising the fight against the virus as some sort of western. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's... A phrase that... Because I, I, similarly to John, watched the whole series pretty much back-to-back yesterday. Uh, the phrase, best guess, is a recurring feature <laughs> in Series 11 as a whole. And it's always <laughs> Crichton. Okay, audience, the thing you have to get on board with is... Death, and <laughs> yeah. then it's done. But in Twentica, yeah, it... Uh, they learn a lot very quickly when they first arrive. It's it's, but it's in like, it's in literally about fifteen seconds, and that fifteen seconds needs to be spread over a minute at least. Yeah. It's, it's Maybe. I've got no problem with that scene 
having all the exposition and all the information we we need it's not that i think it needs to expand too much but just not 15 seconds just a bit more breathing space <laughs> a bit more the, breathing space and, and a bit more action and a bit more action over there cutting to Crichton figuring something out action over there cutting back to Crichton not just a monologue mm. where he goes from a standing start to the set breaks into the yeah, plot within 15 I seconds think it, it shows the sort of standard problem that um, seems to be in Red Dwarf nowadays where there's there's two really good ideas and they're both competing in the same episode mm. um, and so neither is quite given the screen time it ought to um, because it's it's not really clear well not to me anyway uh, what motivates the civilians to do what, what they're doing um, that, uh, uh, I think their key motivation is part of the bit that's in the in the quick bit where they say ah oh, no they're they're coming to enslave humanity yeah it's the, it's the standard I think standard. in terms of Having those two elements, the exponoids and the technology-less world, I think that they marry together better than most. You know, it's not like a lot of series ten episodes where you had two completely separate plots, okay. or indeed other episodes in series eleven where they, there's two completely separate. I think you're plots. right; they do fit together well. I just, I yeah. feel like I, I'm, I'm unsatisfied with either of them because I'm like, I'm interested in both those ideas, and I. Quite kind of, yeah. I mean, is it dramatic irony that, that the exponoids kind of represent actual technology growth in society in that it was exponential through the 20, 20th century mm. but they're also halting that same exponential growth that defines them yeah um so the, yeah there's a there is a doubt like it's just you're right maybe there's just there's, there's a, a lacking of... narrative satisfaction to it but all oh, that like, saved you know, time is kind of used on jokes and i'm yeah, yeah. I think, it makes yeah. me happy. I think there's a there's a lot of it um, in the most recent series of Dwarf, mm. where suddenly little li- there seems to be a lot of little things sort of chucked in here, there, everywhere, and it's not expanded on very much in the dialogue. So it's very easy to sort of well, certainly I think I constantly complain about it. I got to the end of an episode and I was like, what the fuck happened there? Well, <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, the, part of the problem maybe <coughs> with the the bit at the end about the explanation is it really is a, a tell don't show we mm. don't see mm. where they come from yeah we're just told about it and it's more difficult to go in your head and to get it in your head if we don't see what's happening if we just get three or four sentences mm. explained I mean, the, in the, thing, the thing that I, yeah the things that i remember far more than anything about that scene are the jokes which yeah. are good yeah but it's but then there are so many of them that you perhaps don't notice when it comes exposition. to simulants though i'm kind of like at this point i'm kind of used to the idea of pockets of them floating around in various different times and in very different parts of space and all they're doing is being bastards and they hate <laughs> humanity and they're doing it in various different ways like that's dotted about throughout the the whole show yeah and uh, especially in the book backwards it's like they're, they're just they're there to enslave humanity. They hate humanity. That is the sim. That is the simulants thing. All types of simulants. I, so it doesn't I really. Get that, but I get I don't I, really. I do think that when you're um, before when you're introduced simulants, they were given a particular motivation for doing something in particular. I don't really. That it seems a lot of effort for a sim- simulant to go to, for. Well, they're controlling very, technology. 
very little reward really I, it do, well I can't see the reward I can't it's not expanded on as to what they're getting out of it really well I because they were programmed to do it yeah. by future humanity as far as I'm aware but then there's an explanation of why do you go around killing people and they say oh it's we weren't told we couldn't have a little fun along the way <laughs> which is, which is maybe all we need yeah <laughs> um by the way, uh, I do think Twentic has possibly the rudest joke Red Dwarf's ever done, which is yeah. the mention of the double slit test. <laughs> yeah, probably the rudest joke until the following week. Well, <laughs> uh, the, only, the only episode that was um, cut in pre-Watershed. Uh, no, Captain Bollocks was also cut. Oh, okay, from... right. So... If you read my article, I'm going to meet the Titan. I think when it comes to like this, this kind of... Um, you know what we're talking about with elements being dropped in and maybe not being explained so so well. I think the reason why it maybe doesn't bother me so much in Twentica as, as in the past is that Twentica is still a like represents a huge step up in Doug's storytelling from ten. I think I I, I think I think this, every aspect of it just felt a, a certain freshness and improvement over what's gone before that I was I was just very happy with the whole thing even though it's still got still some of the same flaws yeah I think it's it's another in the mold of lemons where it was a complete story told from start to finish which is kind of what we're used to more with classic dwarf I keep on reusing that phrase and I'm not quite comfortable with it classic who yeah BBC dwarf should we say yeah um and yeah not too much waffle uh throughout like nothing to distract from the main plot i mean even lemons had the shakespeare stuff which was a kind of extra yeah, running that joke weird. and that's top. what you get with this weird central location as well when you take it off ship yeah you kind of forced into this yeah focus. follow a clear yeah. a to b story yeah which is not a criticism <laughs> a story that's straightforward and you know progresses from one thing to the next and it's clear Although Twentica does have that weird tacked on scene at the end. Oh, oh it's yeah. true. At the recording, like I, I could kind of tell, uh, didn't know for sure, but could kind of tell that there was something missing. And then Doug tweeted the following day saying that there was you know, a couple of scenes that they missed off because it was Christmas. But that scene <laughs> feels really tacked on it, still. And also, it's like, it very, it, it would fit right into Series 7. Mm. It's, it's fucking awful. <laughs> Well, it stands out so much because we haven't seen Red Dwarf at that point in the episode, and then all of a sudden we're back there. Yeah, it kind of felt like it would have just worked as it was if the if it was more like the ending of Gunman, where Mm, that essentially ends with a bit of good Starbuck driving to get them out of the trouble that they were in as they were escaping. Also, notice something about that scene though. So there's a bit where um, Crichton says. Uh, it's like um, Pythagoras says, Pythagoras says you couldn't get out of this, yes. and uh, Lister says, "Oh, look, Pythagoras didn't have this kind of driving or whatever." Isn't that anti the point of the episode? Crichton <laughs> saying, "By science, we can't do this." Yeah, and Lister saying, "Oh, I think you'll find that I'm beyond science." That's not what the episode's about. <laughs> the episode's, the episode's about saying the exact opposite is. of how good science is. <laughs> yeah. I was my, my main concern with that is that it's again he says not with driving like this. I was expecting that to cut to a really awesome model shot where you could see <laughs> it was some kind of special skill that Lister was pulling off. I assumed that that was what was missing and that would give it a satisfying yeah. ending. Oh, him crashing itself. into an asteroid! Yeah, <laughs> or trying to do something <laughs> and stalling yeah. 
And what I find most strange about that episode in the context of the whole series is that it's it's weird that it's put there presumably to stop the ending of the episode being too abrupt and to round things out. Mm. And then three episodes later, yes, <laughs> or, or even abrupt one ending. episode later, yeah. abrupt endings are oh, a yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even Samsara has a more abrupt ending than it would have been if it just ended on the Pythagoras. And line. and actually, I think this is. Um, I won't say too much about this, but I think this is one reason why I don't mind the episode ending of Samsara too much because it looks like a deliberate way of not having the kind of ending that Twentika does, mm. and I object more to the ending <laughs> Twentika has than the slightly <laughs> abrupt ending Samsara has. Yeah. But yeah, but there are worse. But it, it would be better to have an ending that just works full stop. <laughs> that that would be yeah. ideal. So, is there anything more on Twentica before we move on to Samsara? I mean, we mentioned the guest cast, but we only really mentioned Kevin Eldon. Oh uh, yeah, Lucy Pole. Lucy Pole was Harmony de Gutier. One of the best of the series. Are you Absolutely. all equated with said lady? <laughs> <laughs> right, and yeah, well, really good, Chris yeah. Barry. <laughs> he was excellent in this whole series. Yeah. I wouldn't class him as a guest. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> There was something that really bugged me about there's the, the, some things in there you, you kind of going why did you do that like he mentions like Dave no name Listerano he says oh he wouldn't be related to Joseph Lister and it's like his name's David Lister that's a closer relationship to Joseph Lister than Listerano would be so why did you say Listerano as if that's going to be close enough to the scientist's name when actually he has the same name and it's a better well, relationship. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that I very much enjoy the word Listerano said in your accent. <laughs> but it's just, that that kind of really grates on me a little bit because it's just like one of those things where like there's a better connection going on here that you could have alluded to. He's like, oh, he's not related to Joseph Lister. He's like, his name's Lister. Just use that name. That is his name. At the time, I don't think they were trying to... Um, invoke that similarity i think he was just making up a silly name and then just so no but but if he hadn't have done that and just said his name is dave liston he goes oh he's not related to joseph lister is he and i'd be like oh that's that's a really good connection you've just done there but you've made up a name to get a connection you could have <laughs> in the first place bizarre that bugged me that and, and i'll go back in my box now <laughs> my my other criticism of the episode is that sh- establishing shot with the car is clearly just a still that they're zooming in on. It really pisses me off. And some ADR of, are we there yet? Not like now, sir. <laughs> uh, that happens a few times in the series, and I don't. It looks so awful. It looks like it looks like um uh one of the American sitcoms where they're clearly just zooming in on a photo for the outside shots. Yes, and they, it looked naff in 1985, and it looks naff now. Well, maybe it's one of those things where when you're recording, you say this will be an effect shot here and then when you get to making the series and you realise how many effect shots you've got to do yeah. you have to sacrifice one or two yeah, and do some last minute ADR. The model stuff though I, I genuinely think that the, the, the beginning of the episode kind of ending and, and beginning with this kind of really abrupt kind of like problem that they've got in the uh, with the EMP uh, kicking in and stuff that is a really good scene I, I really enjoy the kind of the peril that they're in with that and Starbucks really, like you know, when it smashes into the into the de- into the desert, it's a really it's a really nice, you know, it, whether it works or not is up to people's opinions. But I just think that as an idea, as a bold idea for the first episode, it's quite a good one. I I have some some issues with some of the Starbucks shots in the series, and that shot where it's crashing and going through the desert, um, it's kind of. There's something weird, and I can't figure out what it is. But Starbuck itself looks flat. Mm. 
the Starbucks itself looks flat, like there's no texture to it, like there's no shadow. And it's clearly a model shot, and it's clearly sand being kicked up, and this, but there is something off with the lighting on that shot. Mm. So it looks just like this big, almost cardboard cutout coming towards us, even though it isn't a cardboard cutout. Yeah, because it's And I can't figure out what's wrong with it. What? All I can think is it's the lighting, that there's something odd about that shot. What gets me about about that I, I don't have a problem with that final that final shot is I found really impressive the um the kind of the cut together of the crash before then was what was what kind of got me it all felt a bit raggedy in a way mm. um and didn't properly lead into that last shot I give it sort of the lead in that it deserved because that last shot was was lovely in my opinion in in my O. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not allowed to have a different opinion, as, as I'm sure you're aware. <clears throat> yes. um, uh, maybe it's just it. lacking the lacking the actual film look. Uh, you know, the risk of sounding like a wanker. I don't know. Like, <laughs> do model shots need that authentic? Yeah. Film filter. I don't know. Or well, to be shot on film, as was the case. Was it actually? Not in not in eleven, but in the old. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can, you know, you can shoot progressive with high quality cameras and and all this. But that's not. Yeah, true. but then I also have no idea what I'm talking about, so <laughs> it's it's a tough one. <laughs> Balance debate in the form of one person <laughs> arguing with myself. <laughs> so samsara. 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 <laughs> oh, this is, I've been looking forward to this one. Samsara, Sora. John uh, first watched this in a uh, on an iPhone in a in a hospital bed yeah. in intensive care. Yeah, and I liked it. <laughs> Possibly. So. Not ideal. You know. Well, I. We'll, yeah, we need to get your opinions on this in full because we missed them out at the time because you were too busy trying not to die. And actually my opinion hasn't changed oddly and I rewatched it. Today. Well, I when I rewatched it I discovered that I liked it more than I did at the time, which is annoying because it was only one of two reviews that I wrote and <laughs> I didn't I didn't get to write a positive review of series 11, but for the record, oh, the things that bothered me are still, you know, not ideal. I'm not keen on the long conversation about Einstein and Formica, mm, yes, etc. I agree. That's but, awful. But it wasn't as big a deal as I remembered. It wasn't as much of the episode taken up, and there's still plenty of good stuff. And I think I like the flashbacks more than most people like them as well. I love the flashbacks. I think they're by far the most straight. You know, the best bit of the episode. I like and, how and it's the bit with no cast, <laughs> no, no regular. I know. Cast. I know. So go on then, John Hall um, on Samsara. Right. Well, my issue with Samsara. Uh, is that I don't think it's funny. Mm. I just don't. I don't think the episode is particularly funny. I think there's the odd good line, uh, but I don't find the episode funny. But I do find it very satisfying. I do think the flashbacks work really well. I think they're integrated beautifully, where they do the fades between our time and yeah. the flashback time. Some of those are really well done. That one where the camera's moving, it goes behind what the computer console or whatever and it checks yeah, some of work. so well thought mm-hmm. through they're really good and that's especially difficult to do when you presumably I don't know whether they shot one one side of those in front of the audience and one not or whether all of it was pre-record and then they cut <coughs> to the audience stuff they actually did it live um, so yeah some shots were actually shot so they had the camera locked off at the position 
as close as anyway to and then the intercut was then the, we we were shown the pre-record and then the the camera vi, the vision mixed into the live um as it was as it was shown to us so some of those transitions were done to us and we could see them because i was i mean that's house. just amazing and it's difficult enough to do yeah. that stuff well without an audience yeah. there but it's if you're doing some do of that stuff first. so that's just brilliant i, I think um, yeah. that really shows in the final episode as well it's nice that that sort of effort yeah presumably primarily that's for the benefit of the audience on the night but clearly that shines through in the final cut as well just because you've done most of the hard work already live yeah that's mm. that's nice i think it's it's a really the the idea of the karma tribe is a really nice idea. Yeah. I think it's well developed from the um, from uh, from the justice. It's uh, a good way to reference stuff. old stuff as well. But it, there's some brand new elements. Um, I really like our two main flashback characters. Again, I don't think they're funny, but I I Aww. I I, <laughs> I like I I love. I love that the episode could have been so preachy about infidelity, and it isn't. There was there was a moment where I wondered where it was going yeah. with if it was like an objective thing that these people should be punished for what they're yes. doing, then that would have been bad. But it wasn't. And they didn't. Like, and that they, was addressed. I, it was it was command captain. Yes. Faces. Box. <laughs> <laughs> captain Tom. Something is his name. I think uh, it's his personal. Well, uh, things that I, have gone into other companies. Rather. It's the company. Yeah. It's all set up so it's the company's one. The and company is named Megacore, by the way. Um, and one of the episode titles that's on the back of the Series 11 oh, Blu ray is Mcore. <laughs> so good. it could be that that company is making an appearance in Series 12, uh, in which case this could be early foreshadowing that this is a, a shadowy organisation or something. I really, foreshadowing I really hope that's the case because I'd be really interested to see more of them. Um, my favourite thing about it was that you could have done a really, really um, pathetic story where um, you were just trying to make some big statements about ethics, but you didn't bring up the essential point, which is that um, people's ethical behaviour changes depending yeah. on culture and on situation. And that was brought up and dealt with absolutely brilliantly. And it's a really interesting idea that... Um, uh, talking about how how moral codes change throughout history, and I just every single little pitfall about how you could have dealt with some of these issues, I just thought was avoided, and that is not something I think Doug Nader will always avoids. Mm. I've mm. sat here on episodes and really quite strongly criticised Doug's writing for being simplistic or for being really quite dodgy at times with yeah. some things, but this episode I thought took. A, a, a an idea that you could have fallen into all sorts of traps with and made a really interesting nuanced discussion of it I still don't think it's funny <laughs> but I really like and I, I love the fact that the flashback stuff is stuff Red Dwarf's never done Yeah, not to that extent you've always had flashbacks to pre-accident Red Dwarf yeah. this is not that Um, I just I, if only I'd found it funnier it mm. might have been my favourite episode of the series. As it is, it isn't. But I, I really liked <clears> it, and I, I just, I, 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 it's, it's the kind of thing I want to see Red Dwarf do more of in future. Just funny. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe more time exploring that element, the you know the ethical element in a comedic way, rather yeah. than the comedy coming from something that's unrelated to the interesting stuff that's thrown up. Uh, the conversation between Cat and Lister, my, it's. 
funny. It's all right. It's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't object to it in terms of the dialogue and in terms of what's on the page. Mm. It's just my problem with it is it could be any two characters anywhere. It's not Lister and the Cat particularly. Mm. It's one reasonable person and one thick person, yeah. and that's like ninety percent of it's, all comedy it's one dynamics of Doug's ever. Bits. And yeah, and yeah. it's nothing to do with the situation that they're in. And Red Dwarf is always at its best when the the jokes are coming from either the plot or the characters, or preferably both. Yeah. And this is neither. Though one bit I did find amusing is the strangulation uh, transcription. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I think outside <laughs> outside of that scene, there's plenty of funny bits. Yeah, no, yeah. No, that 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 whole scene, I've got no time for whatsoever. Yeah. It does. It does make a big stamp on the episode, though, doesn't it? It, yeah. it dominates it in a way, even though it's only few minutes really it feel, yeah it does feel that way yeah. it feels longer than it is perhaps but yeah like I say I watched it the other day and it didn't bother me as much as it did mm, okay, I think I'm kind of noticing as with any episode of Red Door if you notice things the more you watch them and mm. I think I appreciated a lot of the other humour interesting. That. I, li- I really like the scene that starts it off with the um, with the one-armed bandit and the uh, Lister getting his hair caught in a garbage disposal unit yeah that's <laughs> good. Like that, that. that's cleverly Actually, their realization of that is fairly well done. I mean, it is another sudden realization, but it, it, it's clever enough that I, yeah, I enjoyed that. Well, the problem with that whole situation, the, the big Formica stuff, which is just absolutely fucking awful, is it's completely <laughs> undermined. We cut away and then we cut back, and there's a simple quick gag about Julie Caesar, which is funnier than the entirety yeah. <laughs> of the previous scene whatsoever. Um, this episode does unfortunately have one of the worst lines. Um, in the entire episode, which is, um, uh, I'm a computer scientist for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So do you know what, you know, when I see something wrong on television, I immediately say, I'm a play out director for God's sake. (laughs) That's the first thing that comes to mind. And especially when you're explaining that to someone that you know extremely well. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's just, that's just bad dialogue. There's no way around it. That that's, that's first draft stuff that should have been, is computer scientist an awful. actual job? Isn't computer science just like that's a that's, that's a, a degree, degree course, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> which is something you build on into a speciality. Not uh, I am a computer scientist. That's why, as I said, I'm a scientist. I am. Than I, am I am English literature. I am an English literature. <laughs> I just yeah. That, I am that, a media study. <laughs> that that was really not good. Um, but no, I I I don't know. I I don't. I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot, Ian. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Why do you think people took against it quite a lot? Because it really wasn't a particularly popular episode amongst a lot of people when it was first brought up. Oh, and what, I... what do you think it is that that clicks better the second time around? I can't really remember which episodes were popular and which weren't. Back it was then, all over. It's all kind of... Like, there, were, there wasn't any episode where it was it was completely one way yeah that's true but I don't know, what made it better was I think the thing that you mentioned with the plot is is coherent and interesting and yeah I, I kind of wish that there was more that we saw more of the karma drive in the way that we did with the justice drive like we saw yeah. the effects I feel like we saw the effects more in justice although maybe we didn't maybe it was just slightly more memorable it was more memorable because well, Wim was held hostage by it, basically, and so it was a real yeah. actual threat that needed. I guess to be... the 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 climax of Justice World uh, is the fight between the Simulant and Lister, 
played out in the Justice Zone ties up uh, the whole concept and it, it gives more of a reason for the concept to be used at this particular point because you've got you've been talking about the Justice Field all episode yeah. seeing little glimpses of it and then you see exactly what it can do and exactly how it helps the good guys win and, and kind of see why it was a good yeah. idea in the first place it's a fucking good so episode. I think if we'd have had a similar ending you know in terms of structure in Samsara where we see the, them escape using what they've learnt yeah. that we see them getting back to starboard because it ends with Crichton explains what the karma drive is to everyone and everyone gets up on the same page and that's funny where he has to punch Lister in the face in order to <laughs> in order to buy the time to explain it and then they say right let's get out of here very carefully and then they just do well, yeah. do, do you think um, a better way of ending the episode is doing some kind of intercut between our crew escaping and flashing back to the final days of the crew of Samsara and intercutting between those. Because re-watching it, one thing that did strike me is I watched and thought, wouldn't it have been lovely to have seen some of that final chaos? Yeah, Mm. I think that's one of the the reasons I have a problem with the episode is that you don't really, you don't see any anything of the crew getting in trouble uh, and then sort of realising what's happened Mm. to the karma drivers. Obviously they do at some point but it isn't fully explained how it ends up being so chaotic because you would think that oh if they get it they will either act accordingly which some of them did or you would someone would be able to put the karma drive back (laughs) to expect it. Or trying to. I really I felt or tried to. I I found it really well, it protected itself. So it, 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 it developed this immense self-protection which vaporised um, Dan Tetzel and the other one. <laughs> yes. Magic service. And, um, but but, but why didn't it have... Yeah, it was it, that, that was the reason for I self-protection. I, I didn't get that with self-protection. I thought it was a punishment. It oh, was okay. punishing them for all the good stuff that the majority of the crew were doing because it had been broken. And, uh, and, and the reason why Tetzel got vaporised was because he did something good by warning yeah. our oh, crew going to, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. about the drive. Yeah, the, the two Green and Barker escaped um, initially. That's them. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, I, think, I think I agree with you, but for a different reason than what you said. I think <laughs> you you were saying that the the drive made it impossible for them because it was protecting himself. I just think the drive made it impossible for them because Barker had fucked it up so badly yeah. that um, it was, you know, any like it was impossible to beat the Karma Drive because you had to you had to memorize like the sequence <laughs> of fucking symbols and it just went on and on and on you had to um, in order to want to defeat the karma drive that's doing something good and so as soon as you want to do it it will punish you and I think the chaos ensued because they realised this and it was too late and, and they had to dramatically skew it the other way that's what Croton said and also in my head because it's a programmer that's fucked up the drive it has to be a programmer to fix it. Not mm. any old Tom, Dick and Harry can yeah. put it back to factory settings. We need a computer scientist, They it. need a computer scientist, <laughs> damn it. And my idea, again, this is just in my head, and maybe this is the problem, but linking it all together in my head, I felt that the scientists, uh, computer scientists <laughs> could not physically get yeah. to the drive in and, the chaos. Yeah, and Barker but fucked up. it would have been nice anyway. to have 
have actually been told this rather than making it up in my yeah. head, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think your point that you both made, John and Tanya, that you'd have liked to have seen more of the of the samsara in its you know, in the flashback states in one yeah. way or the other. I think there's something that explains whether that's not the case, but it doesn't make your criticism any less. I valid. think I know what you're going to say. But is go on. that this was initially supposed to be an episode with two characters in a lift, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. at the very uh, you know late in the production, this is the money saving episode, and it completely does not invalidate the criticism because you you are judging it on the final episode and you say I would like to have seen this instead. I mean, but for a bottle a episode, it looks expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it, it does seem to have got out of hand as a bottle episode because yeah. there's, lo- there's loads of props about and there's a guest cast. Yeah. <laughs> there's quite oh, a big guest cast. Un- yeah. un- unfortunately, there's no, quite I, a big guest cast. Well, there's well, relatively, extras. There's, there's three, lots of extras, but three there's, there's three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate to say this because um, I was really impressed at the time, but looking back, I don't think Twentica rings an awful lot of comedy out of its huge street set. Mm. And I wonder whether that was perhaps the best investment for the episode. Mm. It's because a lot it of doesn't attention. necessarily make it that much funnier. There's not much comedy in that street set that you couldn't do I think with it... something a lot smaller. It looks brilliant, but does it need it? Whereas Samsara might be being hurt by not having a budget, like actually hurt in the story stakes mm. by not having the budget, which we know was taken for Twentica. That's on the record. Yeah, I guess it, it just depends on your personal preferences to what you'd sacrifice for yeah. the other and that's what it must have come down to. I mean, I, I certainly would sacrifice something looking nice but not really being that useful to the storytelling than I would something that's hurt the storytelling mm. on Samsara. Mm. Um, I think but that is quite nice. easy to say after the fact, to be fair. Yeah. I think for 20 feels like really nicely grounded because of the amount of effort that went into the, the setting. Like The setting doesn't contribute to the comedy. Um, or the, the 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 beautiful set and how, how realistically it looks outdoors and anything like that doesn't contribute to the comedy, but it does contribute to sort of the wider feeling of that episode, which I think is really important. Can we talk about blowjobs? Yes. <laughs> uh, Skellington blowjobs. Skellington blowjobs specifically. <laughs> that is very rude. Yeah. <laughs> it is, is really, really rude, rude scene. No, it's very very rude indeed <laughs> and also I, I saw someone point out probably on G&T uh, but quite a while ago so I can't remember who are we all being incredibly sexist by assuming that it was a blowjob yeah. I did well cunnilingus in uh, you know well, there's all the sex there in general were, there were 69s being depicted yeah yeah, yeah I, I think all in all it was Fun was had by all. <laughs> in the looks of it, Twister is a three-player game, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that was good as well. I'm I'm certainly happy with with all that nonsense, all the blowjobs. Yeah, um, <laughs> and actually, I thought they cut surprisingly little out of the pre-water shed. Yeah, they cut the two most explicit shots, yeah. but you you did get the idea of what was going on. Yeah, it's at pretty... two o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. No, I thought that was good. No, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I, 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 I feel. I think I have warmer feelings towards Samsara because I do this usual thing of if, if I think something's unfairly criticised, I'll kind of rally to its defence. And I think that if everyone quite likes Samsara, I might not be being quite as. <laughs> so I'm being a bit of a dick. Um, but I just, I, I think I just, I think it's my favourite idea of the of the series. The one thing that I, 
I, I can see what they're doing with that ending. It's all right. I, I think we've I think we've proved we're better than Doug Naylor and we could have written a better ending yeah. in this episode. I think that's <laughs> what does definitely he know? clear. <laughs> what does he know about working um, in comedy for forty years? But if you years. if you look at um if you look at that ending, it does it still feels to me like there's a very obvious ending you could have done with that, which is calling back um Monopoly mm. at the end. Which um, they did. No, but no, to, I'll prop, I mean, do but, the game yeah, again. Yeah. And I'm so pleased they didn't do that. It yeah. would have been so fucking tedious because I could write that in my lunch hour. I could write it in my lunch hour, <laughs> that scene. I really could. There's a tick list of obvious shit that you do calling back with that scene and it would be awful. And it looks to me like it's a very deliberate attempt to not do an ending that everyone can predict, mm. you know, mm. every single line. I think it was a really good decision not to... I, you know... You, can, I find it's like we complain about um, Twentica because I complain about Twentica because I don't like the ending. I find it difficult to criticise the ending too much here when they've done what I wish they'd done in yeah. Twentica, in a way. So, I mean, there's a there's obviously a, a there's a better third way that I can't write because I'm not a writer. Yeah. But I someone on GNT said they they would have loved to have seen a whole whole Monopoly um, second scene. It's like. God, I can't think of anything worse. Because you've already done it. You've already you've already done it. Yeah, we already know that. Um, so, and and it is all set up. You've got all the the, you know, the thing that lets them escape is all the revelations about the yeah. the monopoly cheating. So mm. yeah, that ending is what like a, a a book on sitcom plot structure would tell you to end on. And, and <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. Very yeah. It is a surprising. An interesting episode, and I think it's the well, it is the first instance of like massively split opinion as well. Like Twentica was pretty yeah. even, but then and it doesn't let up out. now. Doesn't yeah, let it doesn't up let for the up, and it's like it's, a, it's just a series of pretty much being at, at, at any point is pretty much everything to anyone. Like yeah. every Red Dwarf fan gets something from this series, like yeah. something for them, and it's it's because every episode does have. A good idea somewhere, or something strong about it, something at its core that's that's worthwhile and good. And I think it's it's nice to kind of look back and recognise the good bits of Samsara. But wouldn't that flashback intercut finale yeah. with both crews escaping? It would have been expensive. <laughs> it would have been massively expensive. <laughs> I mean, as much as anything else, I think you would have needed to build more set yeah. to yeah. do that properly, let alone anything else. There will be an explosion. <laughs> but I presume we're going to get to see that with Samsara remastered in about twenty years. <laughs> Anything else on Samsara? I don't think so. But uh, I really hope there is some kind of sequel in Red Dwarf Twelve regarding M Core. Yeah, that yeah. that sounds interesting. Well, interesting company. Here's and I genuinely haven't got a clue. Like, it's like a more evil not. GMC, basically. Well, here's a smooth link. We're talking about foreshadowing. Uh, in the following episode, Give and Take, which we will discuss now. Now, uh, I spotted. Well, didn't spot, but it reminded me of something when I rewatched it. That is really weird in um, Give and Take, and now I'm starting to think: Is this some sort of foreshadowing? Because I'd noticed the M core Mega core thing when Snacky is. In, when we're skipping ahead a bit, but when Sk- Sna- Smacky is in Smacky, 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 Smacky. Is Smacky? No, Snacky. You did say Smacky originally. <laughs> okay. That's a whole different kind of machine. Yeah. It's one in Scotland. <laughs> when Snacky is introduced, uh, he says to Rimmer, 
I once had the pleasure of serving one of your former colleagues, oh. Ronald Littlewood. Uh, what? Yeah. And that's never referred to And again isn't yet. there an episode of 12 called Ronald Littlewood? That's it, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> there it's the one with Norman Lovett. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about it. Yeah, uh, yeah surely, <laughs> that, that's got to be something. Is that gonna it's got to be, because up? it leapt out even more to me on my route. Yeah. What a weird line. <laughs> I mean, worse than any of the Kachansky <laughs> stuff in... 10 and that was pretty shit in terms of foreshadowing <laughs> yeah. especially is it foreshadowed nothing yeah, yeah. but <laughs> was, but this was, was like 10 times worse and what the hell is that line about i don't know but other than that it's a really good episode it's an amazing episode i it's... hate it we have a schism can can i just point <laughs> out that, can i just point out that i have very different views on samsara to tanya yeah. So this is not a joint <laughs> opinion. Stop bullying that we're having. <laughs> Fake opinions. Anyway, sorry. I will. Let's have the good stuff first. Well, smacky. No, snacky. <laughs> no, he's smacky now. <laughs> okay, I've ruined him. <laughs> he's ruined smacky. Snacky is very good. Yeah. Uh, I particularly like the scene. <coughs> although, yeah, it's Rimmer that takes the centre stage in it, but the psychiatrist montage where he's talking about. When I woke up, the lettuce was gone. <laughs> See, that was the, the the that scene was one one of the ones that kind of fell flat for me, in that it it just felt a bit too by the books of cut together some random things. That is definitely true. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's I, Chris Barry saying them. That's, I, yeah, that's yeah I, I watching it. I I just thought it's a really good idea for a sequence, but I know they're going for non sequiturs, but you need. Proper non sequiturs. That teddy bear line. What's that, that about? On Come on. No, you need stuff that can never be explained. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a shame the writing wasn't there to back up, as you say, a good performance yeah. by did, Barry. Did anyone else? I, I admire Barry. <laughs> I admire Barry. Every time I watch that scene, there's there's um, a cut. So it cuts to, to Snacky, and then it overlays the sound from the next cut, which is Rimmer whimpering. And I always, always, always think it's Snacky reaching the end of his limits and starting to whimper halfway through um, the session. <laughs> it's just a very odd, odd one there. And, yeah, Snacky and also Asclepius, the two droids in this episode are both very memorable. Smacky and Sleepy. Um, I, I, I found... But you have to find one follows the other. I found Sleepy is far more interesting than Snacky. Um, who I wasn't that interested in really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like the Milton Keynes joke. The Milton yeah. Keynes joke is yeah. brilliant because Robert Llewellyn delivers that. It's perfectly. like there's fear in his voice when he yes. mentions Milton Keynes. <laughs> fear, dread, like all the appropriate things. <laughs> he must have been to Milton Keynes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's a particularly progressive or revolutionary joke. The Milton Keynes jokes in the 2016. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of the point. <laughs> um, my favourite bit of the episode was when they were in the old power station control room. Yeah, yeah, that was lovely. Lovely, but lovely, poorly, yeah, power station. And I, 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 I watched it. I, I'd say Give and Take is maybe apart from Twentico is the closest to having universal uh, acclaim yeah. Yeah, amongst the fan base. Of, it's, there's a lot of people who really, really like Give and Take, including a few people um, like uh, Pete on GNT who have very generally quite negative views yeah. on on the Dave era as a whole. 
and they really really like and not so much negative but like but yeah it it was very odd like it felt like like just the 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 whole reaction to that episode from many different corners just felt and Uh, and those people that didn't like it that that i liked it because it surprised me yeah, which is often John. One of your criticisms yeah, is that it doesn't surprise you very often. Yeah, and when something comes along that you don't see coming, you react to it strong, yes. more strongly. And I think that's that's perhaps why the episode in general has had a good reaction. And certainly, I think why I like it is because I didn't see the time travel element coming. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, 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 that's right. I, I certainly didn't see that coming. At and all. when and when I kind of realised what was happening at the same time as the characters were coming up with the idea that was immensely satisfying like i was on the same page as the writing what? it's like it, i i was not expecting yeah. it to happen and then i got the idea and like oh they could ah yeah well that's a rush as he well, stole his own kid when was the last time that happened with a dwarf with you considering like <laughs> just seeing the odd episode of oh, seen a lot of t- 10 recorded mm. like when was the last time that red dwarf had kind of well, surprised yeah. you like that i saw most way? of uh i saw four episodes of 10 recorded and the other two uh, you and Seb between you told me everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean you, <laughs> so asked, there was, you asked. For I it. asked for everything, but yeah. And on, on eleven, <laughs> I did, and twelve, I deliberately, other than the ones I saw, mm. tried to know as little as possible. Samsara, I came to completely clean, but it didn't surprise me <laughs> very often. <laughs> but so yeah, give and take was probably the first time since series since series eight that something surprised me. Yeah, and um, with series eight, it was it was not a good surprise. <laughs> Hello. Uh, <laughs> smooth. <laughs> um, I was just going to mention the how many episodes of Red Dwarf warrant repeat watching, like that way, because there are elements in there that are given away at the beginning. You don't realize until you watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Lister is in the bunk and obviously he's hungover, but he's not hungover. But if you, when he's getting out of bed, you can see that he's got like a hospital dressing around his midriff, and you're not meant to notice that, but it's there, and it's one of those nice little mystery things that kind of come round full circle, and only when you watch it again do you realise it was there the whole time. And I really enjoy Give and Take for that reason is the fact that I don't think Red Dwarf's ever done that before. And um, what, watching um, what seemed like quite an innocuous everyday conversation with a lift. When you watch that the second time, you suddenly realise that there's a second story going on. There's a reason yeah. why the lift isn't doing what Rivers yeah. says. It's, it's not just it, standard it, Red Dwarf see, I, I, AI chat. Yeah. I admit that when I first watched the episode, I was really confused by the ending. And I, on a rewatch, I was confused. Yeah. And watching it this time, right, it's finally beginning to sink in. And I can't really criticise the episode too much for it because a lot of people got it on the first pass mm. so maybe it is just me but i i just found it overly confusing and not not like like sometimes there's well, a thin line between something being um confusing and something being deliberately um putting you off the scent mm. and to me just tipped into being overly confusing for me. There are bits that are certainly not fully explained in the show. Uh, there's gaps to be filled in, and I think the the thing is whether you have a problem with those gaps, yeah. and, and whether is... you see them as some as a fault or something that is is something yeah, for the I audience think that's to my fill in. Major issue with yeah. quite a few episodes in this series. But you see, that's the weird thing about um, Samsara is that I'm more than willing to fill in the gaps in Samsara. And you're not. Mm. Whereas with give and take, not 
I'm not willing to fill yeah. in the gaps. On the well, the, tape. the biggest gap is one that is easily explained if you can be bothered, and it's that the the kidneys, whose kidneys were they? Yeah. My headcanon says that uh, Asclepius Scandalister discovered he had no kidneys and got a pair of kidneys out of the freezer or whatever and was about to insert them into Lister, but that is in no way <laughs> implied by the episode. Yeah. No. That's just yeah. me. And if yeah. you're if your reaction to it is, oh, I really enjoyed that, oh, what's that gap? Then it's more fun to fill it in yes. than if you watched it and you didn't like it yeah. and you noticed a gap, then that gap becomes a problem yeah. rather than... Rather than a, an advantage. Yeah. I, can't have z- yeah, I can't have zero tolerance of that sort of thing. <laughs> um, although you're right, I mean, if you like it, you like it. I think part of the trouble is, yeah, I just didn't find it particularly funny. Mm. I mean, I did struggle me. with the comedy. In the, it's my second... It's my second least favourite of the series um, the, my least favourite being the obvious and I, I, a lot of it is I didn't really find it that funny and I'm, I, I do struggle to explain why and uh, a lot of people say it's their favourite because it's the funniest specifically because yeah. yeah. it's the funniest I, I just really seem to struggle with the, with the comedy in the episode I just point blank don't find it very funny I, I don't know what it is Nothing really since the I don't know what the series is, but it's it's just like with every other like disagreement on on um, episodes and uh, like in the past, it's like you, you can have a pretty good idea about why someone likes or doesn't like a particular episode, even if you have an opposite opinion. And I can't I can't fathom it out this for this one <laughs> at all. <laughs> it is interesting. Yeah. There, there was a, I know we go on there, about it. But. There was a certain level of consistency with the reaction to ten. And there's nothing. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing with eleven. The closest and you've got to with eleven is that Twentica's generally well well to, liked. To add to the inconsistency in my mind as well is that one of the biggest strengths of this episode is the the surprise of the second half and how it, it takes this takes this sort of sharp left turn when basically it's smooshing like two things together, which is exactly the sort of thing that I've complained about <laughs> in previous episodes. So why the hell this is... I mean, it's connected up, obviously, but why the hell this is any different? See, I, I don't really to, know. To me, Maybe it's, it's the same tropes done better, or yeah. done in a way that is more pleasing to you. Yeah. I mean, it left me wanting more. I wanted more Asclepius, but I, I saw that as a as a good thing. It's like, it felt like episodes of old where things were rattling on at, at a pace, and every single episode of one to six has ideas and situations and characters that I want to see more of at the mm-hmm. end of the episode. I, I haven't got enough of those things. And this is like the first time that um, that happened in the, some of the new episodes. I wanted more of the space station stuff. I wanted more snacky, wanted more sleepiest. See, um, to, and it was good that they left me hungry. To, to me, there's a, there's a... It's a word I've used with three episodes of this series, but to me, the ending feels like it devolves into a runaround that there's a lot of running around and i know and i i take don't you I like take, mike reed I, I take the idea that they're doing something but it doesn't land for me it just feels like a load of characters running up and down corridors <laughs> but even within that you've got one character who is lister sneaking up on <laughs> another character who is lister that was a good shot <laughs> yeah i'll yeah. give you that there's shot. always really stuff to shot. keep me entertained throughout anything uh, give and take also features Captain Bollocks, which is one of like I don't. <laughs> I prefer Captain Bollocks. I like Captain Bollocks more than just 
the words on the in the script and the performances in that scene. Yep. I just love that the phrase Captain Bollocks is now a thing that's associated with Red Dwarf in quite a major I, way. I think it's only funny on the fourth instance of Captain Bollocks, <laughs> yeah. personally. But I take your point. <laughs> and again, that's um, that's Robert Llewellyn. Uh, yeah. Like, it's really superb performance all series, I think. Quite, yeah, quite over the top, his reading. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, there's I... a file here <laughs> named Captain Bollocks. And he, I... he leans into it. <laughs> Captain Bollocks. <laughs> it's completely on my uncertain. On my rewatch, actually, I was more impressed with Robert than I was on my initial watch. Actually, the more I watch it, the less I like Chris Barry's performance in most of the I Chris, don't think he's nailing it. Chris Barry's on, like, a knife edge with me because the, 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 there was, like, the, the big issue for me with, with eight, in particular, was Rimmer and Lister as characters just went a bit too askew, and I think both of them, like Lister's, pretty much got back on track. Rimmer never quite like Chris Barry's performance is always good, but the, the, he's never felt quite on track as Rimmer. Rimmer, and it, it's not it's bad acting. Like Eleven, yeah, no, 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 he's great, but it's not he quite Rimmer. There's an over enunciation. There's an over. Um, there's an almost an overperformance element to it that yeah. that kind of exaggerates some of his character traits. But I think in Eleven he's as good as he's been in the Dave era. But it's I, I see what you, I do know what you mean. I always enjoy his performance, but there's yeah. And then you've got another instance of a slightly um, odd ending <laughs> in Give and Take in the second of. Three, oh, yeah, <laughs> at least in a row, <laughs> at least. Um, which again, I can see what they were going for. I think it just needed more time to breathe at that end. Like it was slammed straight from uh, like the twentieth floor to the second. yes, <laughs> but the, the speed of the lift was only matched by the speed of the cut. <laughs> like it would just went straight from effect shot, bang, credits. Like yeah. it, they could have done with a fade or something, a bit more time to breathe. I, I, like not just have the music come in immediately. Yeah. I find it really weird. Doug seems to be obsessed with shots of elevator shafts going down. <laughs> it happened so much in eight. It's, it's happening a just, lot in series it 11. It is like a good shaft. Well, the the the, the stuff with the, the... Actually, that's my favourite joke in the whole episode, is the, <laughs> the opening joke with Rimmer. <laughs> yeah. Travelling up and down my shaft. <laughs> One thing that 8 did well, actually, is the sense of scale. Like, even though it doesn't really make sense that this ginormous fucking prison complex was on a mining ship, you really did get a feeling that it was incredibly high and tall and all mm. those lift shots did, did do quite a good job there everything else is bollocks but no, you know, they got a sense of verticality uh, down verticality <laughs> beautifully <laughs> verticalness <laughs> verticality I hope is the word I think verticality weird. is the word good. yeah excellent so there you go <laughs> that was give and take yeah. <laughs> no I mean I feel like there's a lot more I like I think that the, the main the main thing that, that give and take did for me was just it just kind of wrapped everything up really nicely for me, and like it comes down to sort of the the time travel um, um, sort of uh, conclusion to it all because it's it's really easy for time travel type episodes to lose me and like to to kind of stop me from enjoying a conclusion because I just think ah you didn't really think about that very well. But this is just one of those instances, and it, I was helped along specifically by Ian and Joe's theorizing straight after the episode oh, about yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> Like all I needed was to to read those rationalizations, and I like 
it just so happened to just all click in my head and say, all right, I'm absolutely perfectly happy with that circular paradox um, or whatever it's, is it a bootstrap? Uh, I think, it I is, think it's yeah. a bootstrap, it and is. and I was perfectly happy with that. I like the I, I like the idea of that type of paradox of kind of like an, a never ending circle, basically. And it didn't patronise us in the same way Doctor Who patronised us when they did the same thing. <laughs> I will give the series that. Yeah, they, did, they didn't have the episode start with Lister talking to Cameron <laughs> explaining about Mozart. Actually, but... um, that's one thing that I think the episode oh, might have lacked. If you look, if you look at Stasis Leak, that visual effects shot, um, visual effects shot of the stasis leak itself is very, very specific and very, very well designed and very, very obvious. There's nothing in give yeah. and take that sells the time That's travel. True. Yeah. Also you have yeah, to they take, just go. You yeah. have to take the stretch of like, and, oh Snacky can do this and, now. And they <laughs> even it's not really a good shot where you see them going into the stasis leak chamber. They kind of go into a bit of the back of the set mm. and it's not that obvious. I even forgot that it it doesn't look like a stasis boot. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. So that it that's like a lift. If, if it, <laughs> it sold, so it sold itself visually a bit better. Maybe yeah. I'd like that end bit a bit more. If they, if they just re- thought of that, what if they'd recreated that, like that exact no. sort of effect shot? No. Yeah, the noise and like the really obvious kind of cut off split screen. I mean, well, not obvious, but yeah, it remaster tried that. <laughs> a few extra shots and it didn't work very. Remaster tried um, a lot of things. Interesting thing about give and take. <clears throat> is that I and again it's confirming my expectations. I was expecting, and even on a rewatch, it kind of feels like it's leading this way, that Snacky would make some sort of supreme sacrifice yeah. and end up being yeah, killed yeah, uh, yeah. in some way, like sacrificing himself to help Lister out or help or having to like make a connection between the stasis booths with his bare hands and then the game fried. But Snacky is now presumably just wandering around yeah. on board ship like he could turn up. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, that was dampened by the fact of pre-knowledge of, of um, the order in which the episodes were recorded. And yeah. knowing that Snacky wasn't in any of the previous two, which <laughs> yeah. were the fifth and sixth yeah. recorded. But, but no, oh, there was that leaked could... episode title for 12, Snacky's Revenge. <laughs> 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 he could conceivably turn up, if not in series 12, then in a future episode. Just, I would be really happy. Let, they should do 12. an episode where Snacky and Hoagie the Rogie team <laughs> up. <laughs> like Lightfoot and, uh, oh, what's his name, in, in Towns of Wen Chang. Oh, Jago and Lightfoot. They're like spin-off series. The continuing big, there needs to be a big, big finished spin-off. A big uh, finished spin-off right there. They should do a uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Like they're always in the background watching all the other events happening and they're commenting on stuff as it's going on. Well, I hear actually that even though Snacky wasn't in Series 12, he'd been blue screened into the background of the shots. <laughs> but no one is going to claim responsibility for that. <laughs> it's a CG Snacky. <laughs> You just see him in the background in the bunk room stirring a cup of tea. <laughs> I, I kind of feel that maybe in ten years I might have figured out my feelings properly. On this <laughs> okay. episode. I, 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 have a, I have a straightforward feelings okay, on Google, a lot of these. Okay, Google, remind me in ten years. <laughs> I, I find it ludicrously unsatisfying, but I can't quite explain why. Um, so this is completely of no use well, whatsoever. we'll see you, I mean, whenever we do the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a couple, couple of years, yeah, yeah. A couple of years, yeah. Is there anything more on give and take? Yeah, I was just going to say the um, I thought the model shots and stuff, even though they were CG, the um, the CGI effects of the, the the meteor storm slamming into the the ship was really really good. Yes, I agree. That I, worked quite well. I figured out in my rewatch what the space station reminds me of, 
uh, and it's when it's disintegrating and the satellite dish is flying off. For a brief moment, it looks like Hypnodisc from Robot Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, the um, escape um, from from the space station is the my favourite um, mini game on the Red Rocket <laughs> game so far. So far, yeah. yeah spoilers. Well, that takes us to about halfway in our discussion, so uh, let's pause it for there and return for bite two of our Series 11 semi-retrospective in the coming days and weeks, whenever I can be bothered to edit the second part. <laughs> well, uh, we need to all get together again. And uh, yes, yes, well. that, when we're back in the same room again. Um, so, until then, let's not say a full, uh, proper goodbye, let's just say, Ed, everybody. Ed. 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 I'm looking forward to talking about Crisis for about 45 minutes. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.